This is the question I'm going to ask you next. Uh, comes in from a listener. The herd mentality calling. I've been really listening to all your podcasts regarding elk and love them, especially the Chris Rowe ones. I've got my calling down pretty good and have been studying the elk module. I seem to hear you talk a lot about elk calling and calling strategies, but can you give me some pointers on hunting tactics for my early archery bull tag in 5B this year in Arizona? I've been more of a get-up-high-and-glass kind of guy. What should I be doing? Where should I be going in the mornings and evenings? I've talked to Dwayne Adams a bit, and he recommends chasing bugles in the morning and sitting water in the afternoon. What are your thoughts as far as general tactics? When you talk about calling or chasing bugles, are you basically just walking around the woods trying to strike a bugle, or are you covering ground with a truck? I would assume at night after dinner you're driving the roads locating bugles for the morning, right? Thanks for your help, uh, Cadston Hall. So, Chris, as I as I look at these questions, um, or the you know this kind of series of questions, here's a guy that's got an Arizona elk tag, and he's kind of looking at general strategies and you know tactics and principles to you know enact on his hunt or try and carry out. And definitely, I would say you and I talk about you know, calling strategies uh, and what have you, but he's looking for hunting tactics for his early archery tag, and he's a get-up-and-high-glass kind of guy, which, so my first thing would be, by the way, welcome, uh, Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources. Um, (laughs) I I would say that, you know, I'm a get-up-high-and-glass type of guy, um, as I'm scouting before the season, especially, you know, with the with the elk season, I think starts this year or what is it like the 14th or 15th in Arizona, yeah. you know, that good week before the season, you definitely have elk, you know, actively pursuing cows. You definitely have elk uh, bugling. You have, you know, they're they're in essence kind of in the zone. They're in the areas you want to hunt them. So. Yes, um, if you can get up high in glass and do a lot of observation and figure out either A, if you're really searching for a specific bull, or B, if you're just looking for good activity areas, you know, you can't beat uh, scouting with your eyes, in my opinion, uh, anywhere you're at, whether you're in Colorado. I mean, if you can see them and you can observe them, you have a much better chance of, of finding a big bull or finding a bunch of elk in activity, whether you're you know trophy hunting and looking for something specific or you're just wanting to dive into the weeds and and you know hunt bugling bulls. Uh, I think getting up high and glassing is huge. And Chris, you can you can weigh in here. Um, one thing I would say with glassing is. Try and get up and, and cover an area off a point and get a feeling or a sense of what those elk are going to be doing and then move whether it's over to another knob or another part of the unit and try and become as familiar with as many areas as you can because you'll have pressure move in the day before the season and you may have you know eight camps 
all around where the area of activity where you just spent you know a week so i like to move around and try and establish as much of uh quote unquote honey holes or you know trying to figure out the the area where the elk are that year because you know they tend to move from year to year you know sometimes one area is hot say they had no rains there so you know they're not going to be there the next year so in other words yes get up high in glass but move all over the unit trying to get as many good areas to hunt as you can or if you're trophy hunting and you're searching for one bull or two bulls uh you know it just becomes a numbers game and trying to look at as many elk as you can any thoughts from you chris no i i absolutely I, right right down the line i mean that's you are i mean this is right in your ballpark i mean this this is exactly what you know when you and i hunted together down there a couple of years ago now uh i mean you you love doing this especially when you're out there trying to find a particular bull you you get up on top of those points and you just rot up there all day long behind <laughs> it drives me nuts I, I just don't have the patience for it but it pays off huge dividends and i do the same thing up in the high country if i can get in there a few days before season and and just glass and pattern them i always will do that that's what's frustrating me right now i'm i'm it's now thursday i actually was trying to get to elk camp last night so i had day tomorrow to get a feel for what's going on but for a variety of reasons i'm, I'm a day late now but if you can get yeah and i don't know what this what his uh opportunity is for if he's a, you know a working man like most everybody else out there, he probably doesn't have the luxury that you or I do and take the week off beforehand and just sit out there for a week ahead of schedule. But if he does, goodness gracious, absolutely, those elk, he's going to see everything happening. I mean, the season starts on the fifteenth. Oh my gosh, yeah, I mean, it, it, they're going to be rocking and rolling by that time, I think. So just like you said, get up there and figure out where are they, what are they doing. Is there any pattern to what they're doing? You know, are they bedding in a particular area? Are they getting water? Are they feeding out in another area? What you said is, is absolutely the, you know, perfect. It, you know, not every water hole from year in and year out is going to have water in it. Some of them are going to, but depending on what the rains do. And, you know, last year for me in Arizona guiding, it, it, was, we, it was stupidly dry, but it was the cattle. They had cattle in so many places, and it was so dry that literally you'd get a band of cattle, 20, 30, 40, 50, had a cattle come in, and they would camp on a water hole that had a great bull using it, and in two days they drank that sucker dry. Well, great. I just scouted, and I had this bull pinned down, and now all of a sudden his water hole is gone. So now where is the next good water hole? Because the elk are going to know, and the elk are going to move, but if you don't know where they're going to move to, you're going to be out. You're going to be. You're you're behind the eight ball, and you're going to be scrambling. So if it, they, if he can get out there early before season, figure out where the water is. If there's if they're grazing cattle in the area, where are they? What's the pressure look like? What are the other hunter pressure look like? But yeah, I'm with you. If if I can pattern them ahead of time, come opening morning, I'll know either what bull I want to be on, or at least what area I want to be in to capitalize on the most activity. So I agree 100%. And I would say, too, on the cattle aspect, not only from a waterhole perspective, but, you know, elk and cattle, yes, they do mix. 
when they're forced to, you know, they'll they'll feed side by side. It doesn't really matter. But I've seen in in multiple states when you have situation where it's either cattle or sheep that the elk will definitely seek other pastures or other areas where they don't have to compete with the elk. And I think from a standpoint of food competition where that, you know, and I, I just think, you know, those elk don't want to, if they don't have to be around cattle, I think they like not having any cattle around or not being in those specific areas where sheep or cattle are. So if you get to your spot, and you you know you scout it all summer, and all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of sheep there, or there's a whole bunch of cattle. Like I'm gonna tell you right there, your elk have probably moved, and I would then start looking. Okay, which way does it make the most sense that they went to? You know, where is it the greenest, or is there a pasture fence where uh, those cattle are on this side of the fence? All those elk did is just moved over, and they hopped the fence, and now they have you know, greener pastures, uh, for a lack of better term, uh, just on yeah. the other side of the fence. And, um, you know, some of the stuff up in the high country in Colorado and stuff, you know, there's not as many fences or what have you, but I have seen in Colorado and some of these high country basins and some of these areas, you know, flat tops and what have you, where they move in, you know, thousands of sheep and those elk are gone. Yep. And yep. so... And, and, and you're, you nailed it. I mean, and a lot of times, and it the other thing, too, is, is if the cowboys or, or the ranchers are, are pulling their animals out, they might just be driving them through an area, and, you know, that'll cause a, a temporary uh, uh, disturbance as well. And, you know, for what you were saying about cattle, there are some areas, and, and no two pastures or, or grazing systems are really alike. The BLM and Forest Service kind of handle things differently in certain areas. So dub, double-check what's going on, because if you have a, an area that, Maybe they only put a handful of cattle in, and the cattle in there all year, you know, all summer long and all fall. Well, okay, the elk might get used to that light level of cattle grazing, and they might be there. But yeah, like you said, Jay, I mean, especially here, all of a sudden one day it's like they they open a gate and they change pastures, and you know, last week there was no cattle. This week there's 500 head, and they are. I mean, they're everywhere. You can't get you can't get away from them. You bet you those cat, those elk will pick up and move. And then uh, one more tip I'll give, especially for like the Arizona and probably New Mexico, maybe even the southern Utah guys, is and maybe Nevada, a little more arid, you know, country is. I've seen it lots of times too, where you've got cattle that have been in a pasture, uh, let's say you know, kind of um, July and August, and then they move them out of there, and it's pretty grazed down. And then you get some yeah. big thunderstorms and some big rain, and it's sat for, you know, two or three weeks and, you know, the right conditions. And all of a sudden, you know, pastures that have been really eaten down and you, you get the right conditions, all of a sudden you've got that fresh green grass coming up. I've seen elk actually flock back in behind the cattle. Um, and, and so you've got to watch that. And especially in, you know, Arizona hunters, New Mexico hunters, uh, I've seen it, I've seen it more times than not when, when you have a pasture that's been blistered, but then all of a sudden you get good rain. I mean, I've seen those elk just anywhere where you can find that fresh, beautiful, you know, fresh little green grass elk will flock in there. Absolutely. I mean, that, that. That example right there is exactly what happened to me on my New Mexico hunt. I've got a friend who 
through outfits, and he managed, helps manage a, a very large chunk of private property that's managed for elk and, and cattle. So it's a, it's a very active cattle ranch, but they, they're, they're great stewards of the land, and they manage their cattle grazing for the benefit of elk. And then meanwhile, they had a neighboring ranch that they always did well in October on their rifle hunts. But he decided, he's like, you know what, I want to pick this up for archery. And he let me, I was 1,800 acres. He let me, I was the only person, private property, 1,800 acres, in the middle of prime elk country. He let me hunt in there for essentially about 10 days, two weeks. I went in there. That property had cattle from one fence to the other fence to the fence. I mean, all four corners, and it was just, there wasn't. I hunted in there the entire time and laid eyes on one five-by-five. All the other elk were across the fence line. Literally, I ended my hunt. The season ended. They pulled the cattle out. They dropped the fences down down in there. That region, they have lay-down fences where you can just drop all the fences and allow better movement for elk and deer. So they dropped all the fences, pulled the cattle out. Two weeks later, now meanwhile, you got all those monsoon rains coming through. Two weeks later, they just cleaned up during rifle season. The elk piled back over into there because they had a lot of really good cool season grasses, and you nailed it. The cattle came in, cleaned all the old crud off, left nothing but brand new spanking green flush growth, and as soon as the cattle came out and the rains hit it, it was... It was like the Serengeti in there. They just slaughtered them because that's the cycle. So you nailed it. If, if you've got some of these, especially the higher elevation areas where you've got cool season grasses, watch that close. It's, it's almost like a, it, it acts almost like a fire in the fact that it'll take, the cattle could take all that old decadent crap off and just leave the good stuff and they all pound it. Yeah, for sure. And, and part of his question too, he talks about, uh, you know, should he chase bugles in the morning and sit water in the afternoon? Um, I would say, specifically talking about Arizona, um, you know, pretty arid areas, not a lot of um, free or uh, live water, mostly uh, dirt stock tanks, cattle tanks. Um, I, I would say that typically on year in and year out, a good strategy is, uh, you know, active elk, bugling elk. Uh, in the morning, you know, running and gunning, chasing bugles, uh, you know, using, uh, you know, specific strategy, uh, you know, strategies that Chris talks about in, in trying to effectively call elk in is a great plan. And then especially if it's warm, if it's hot, uh, in Arizona, uh, sitting water in the afternoon and evenings is a huge uh, way to be successful. It's not my favorite. It can be extremely effective if if you get real hot days. Um, you know, especially that last 30 minutes of of, of light. Uh, those elk are going to be coming to those water holes. And then you also have to watch if it's especially warm during the day and you find uh, fresh wallows or even wallows on dirt tanks. Uh, those bulls will get their cows and they will bed them down and they'll lay there for an hour or two and they'll start getting real hot and those bulls will slip off, usually silently leave their cows and slip to the nearest wallow or water tank and drink and wallow in the mud and then they'll usually slip their way back to the cows. So 
Um, definitely you Arizona hunters, I would say probably Nevada, uh, New Mexico hunters. If you get hot conditions, definitely sitting water, uh, you know, from say anytime from like 11 o'clock in the morning till dark is, can be a, a very effective, uh, a strategy. Yeah, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And that's what we had to do or had to do last year, you know, Last year, the Arizona archery season started really early, and it was where we were. It was just brutally dry and hot, so there was almost no vocalizations, no working elk of calls. I mean, there, there really was no running and gunning and chasing bugles. They just weren't until towards the end of the of that season that they started to talk a little bit more. So we absolutely sat water, but you know, like you said, Jay, people really need to pay attention too to the type of tank. For those that aren't familiar with Southwest, you know, in Arizona, if it's a stock pond or an earthen, you know, a, a depression in the ground where water is held, a lot of, most of those down in Arizona, they, and then, you know, for other places, you know, where I'm at, you know, a stock tank is a, it's a metal tank, you know what I mean, an actual man-made metal tank. So um, those earthen tanks, sometimes they might be out in the wide open, in the open areas. A lot of times, if that's where the animals are getting water, like you said, Jay, the elk are going to be bedded somewhere else, and they, in the evening, will get up and move that direction. For me, in the evening, if it especially the latter half of September, if they are getting out of their bed and they're making their way to water, I will usually, I like to run and gun, I will try to intercept them sure. on that, on that, in that transition area because they're going to be talking, they're going to be moving, and it allows you to get in there on those animals before the end of legal shooting light because sometimes if you are on one of those larger tanks, those ponds that are out in those wide-open meadows, there are many times they don't show up and actually if you're putting a blind on the edge of water or a tree stand on the edge of water, they don't show up until you're already past legal shooting light. And so... If you're going to set that tank or you want to set on a tree stand, just set your blind or your tree stand into the timber in a direction where you think they're going to come from and try to capture them in legal shooting light. But if they're talking, I'm going to try to intercept them. Now, if I know, and, and I'm, I'm thinking in my mind right now, the, the water hole that we sat on last year, some of those tanks and those water sources are tucked into the timber. They're tucked back in these little nooks and crannies. And like you said, Jay, they might be bedded nearby. If that's the case, then I'm going to run and gun them first thing in the morning. And as soon as the activity slows down and, and they're just not, you know, everything's settled down, I'm just going to climb into a tree stand or climb in that ground blind and I'm not moving. I mean, my, my client last year about went stir crazy the first day. He, he thought I was crazy. We literally climbed, and I had him climb into that blind, I think it was like 4.30 in the morning. Because, it, you know, pressure in some of these units is so extreme that you've got to be the first one there. If you want a good spot, you, you've got to be the first one there. So we climbed, I had him climb into that ground blind 4.30 in the morning and then sit until after dark. He about lost his mind. He likes to run and gun too, but he had help in front of him all day long. I mean, all day long. Long. No, no bulls that he decided he wanted to shoot, 
but he had everything from small little raghorns to, you know, 340 class bulls all day long. So, yeah, if it's hot, if it's dry, if you're in a good area, get in early, set the water, and just wait it out. But if they're talking, go after them. Yeah, uh, I, I, I want to talk about um, how he asked, uh, you know, basically – uh, walking around the woods trying to strike a bugle, or are you covering ground with a truck? Uh, I would assume at night after dinner you're driving the roads locating bugles for the morning uh, right with a question mark. Uh, before I do that, I just want to remind uh, the listeners uh, and thank the sponsors of this podcast, uh, GoHunt.com. Uh, Insider is doing a 30-day free trial. Uh, you can take advantage of that free 30-day trial. Uh, by going to gohunt.com forward slash jscott uh, and use that uh, URL and that will follow the prompts and you can get that free trial. Uh, also, Kuyu, Ult- Kuyu Ultralight Hunting, uh, they have their, their mobile showroom and you can go to kuyu.com. Uh, you can also check in the show notes for all these links, uh, but you can find out where the mobile showroom is going to be at and it's traveling around uh, the western United States and and uh, going to be in Texas and, and uh, all over kind of the Midwest here over the next month. Uh, Phonescope.com uh, and Outdoorsmans.com. Thank those four sponsors of this podcast. Uh, Chris, when it comes to uh, talking about are you trying to strike a bugle or are you, you know, are you walking around the woods, you know, chasing bugles or trying to strike a bugle? Or are you covering ground with the truck? I would say yes, yes, and yes. The the, yeah. the the thing is, is in my mind, when you're scouting, you want to be doing a lot of traveling an hour to an hour and a half before it gets light. And after it gets dark for the next hour or two, you can definitely be traveling. And what you want to do, we've talked about it on the podcast before, is yes, by covering country in your vehicle, you can drive, you can stop, and I've talked about it before. Pull, drive, and pull over where uh, you know you don't get out of your vehicle. Just pull over, have your windows already down, kill the vehicle, shut it off, and just stick your head out the window and start listening. Don't get out of the vehicle. Don't be making noise. Don't turn lights on in the vehicle. Just be like a vehicle driving by, it pulls over, and then just shut it off and be very quiet. And a lot of times the animals will think, oh, that vehicle just went on by. It's when you stop and you get out and you shut the door and they hear the door shut, they see the vehicle light on, your headlights are maybe still on, the cab light's still on. That's where you're not going to get them bugling and stuff. If you just pull over, shut all lights off, immediately stick your head out the window, they almost always bugle immediately. It's so funny when you're sitting there and you hear a truck go by, bulls are bugling, communicating to each other, kind of bugling, almost like a shock gobble, like a turkey. They, they're bugling. And so immediately shut the vehicle off and just start listening. Don't be talking inside the vehicle. Don't have your radio on. And what you're trying to do is basically establish where groups of elk are Try and figure out, okay, they're moving to and fro. What are they doing? Mark it on your map or your GPS and then go up another half mile and do the same thing or another mile. And do that over and over and over. 
and you will be amazed at how many groups of you know congregating elk that you can find uh and they tend to bugle more during you know during the night and during you know rather than daylight hours so it's a great time to locate elk chris i know you've used that tactic in the past as well absolutely and and for me i just always tell people two hours and two hours two hours before and when i say before daylight i'm not talking about legal shooting light i'm talking about two hours before the the first little hint of turquoise in the horizon because there have been plenty of time and again down in arizona we've talked about you've talked about this and yeah some of these units have been uh, even though they take a lot of years to draw they still have a lot of tag in them and so people especially now you get 110 guys helping them you know you've got a lot of traffic in these units and there's a it, there's a heavy amount of pressure especially in and around those roadways so there have been plenty of times where i've gone out in literally two hours before the first little sliver of light they're talking but an hour and a half or an hour before all of a sudden that little turquoise sliver hit they're already halfway if not three quarters of the way back to where they're going to bed and they're shut down they're not staying a peak and then all of a sudden you hear the vehicle start coming up and in people coming up in have no clue where the animals are, even though they're bedded right there above the, on the ridge, right above the road. But they're just not going to say a peep. If you were out there two hours ahead of time, you would have heard them going nuts. And like you said, you know, whether it's a shot gobble, you know, like you, you know, we did a turkey term, but, you know, I think part of it is when a, some of those roads will cut through these open meadows and open valleys and open areas, and a lot of the tank where they're getting water, the, the reason why they put those tanks next to the roads is because it's easy to get to and it's easy to fill them up. Well, those elk are headed that way, or in the morning, they're elk already, so all of a sudden someone comes from the road. So, yeah, don't stop in those meadows. Just cruise through and park. As soon as you get through it, just, you know, around the bend or on the ridge or just inside the timber or whatever, that's where I will stop and, and pause. And I won't even hit the brakes on the truck. I'll just shift into neutral, let it come to a coasting stop and kill the engine. And like you said, be ready with your gears outside, you know, head out those windows because and, and try not to hit your brakes because the, those brake lights light up. But a lot of times when you cruise through that opening or you cruise by that water source, that disturbance of you driving through will kick those calves into gear or kick, you know, it'll cause the calves to move or the cows to move, and those bulls will bugle because they're like, okay, oh, where, where are my ladies going? No, no, everybody needs to stay together or who's going, you know, what's, you know we, we have a disturbance, we need to stay together. And you're absolutely right. You nailed it. A lot of times, as soon as you come to a stop and you go through, they'll sound off. You'll know right where they are, and I'll just sit there and listen to them and if they stay there, great. And I'll just sit there and listen. But if they start moving off in through the timber, that's where all of a sudden, you know, okay, they're, they're starting to move off. Okay, I'll reposition, park the truck out of the road, and then I'll just get out and I'll just start following them. I'll just start shadowing them in the dark. So that way, as soon as it's the first amount of, of legal shooting light, I'm in their back pocket. Yeah, and that was another thing that I was going to say is make sure that when you're doing all this reconnaissance and you're you're checking all these areas that you're you know you're taking notes and what have you but when the season is active and it's 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 open and and going on get there way early 
and and be yeah. on your elk, shadowing your elk in the dark, so that as soon as it gets light, you're almost in striking position. One, from a standpoint, if anybody else is chasing the same elk, you're already at, you're already ahead of them. You're already in position. You're already right there on the elk. But two, if you can follow them for you know 30, 40 minutes, an hour in the dark, you learn a lot about the very next day. Say you blow it that day, they're probably going to make the same pattern the next morning. So yep. don't pull up at gray light and then get out of your truck. They hear all that. Like pull up at yep. 3 in the morning, hear where they're at, keep the wind right so you're not going to spook them. But then as they start to move off and as the season progresses – they're going to get, especially elk in Arizona, they're going to get more keen to people just pulling up at gray light and start chasing them. Like, be already at the backside of the meadow ready to cut them off because you know which direction they're going to go. And shadow yep. those elk. Don't start calling to the elk and giving your human presence away. Just be listening to what they're doing and trying to put yourself in the right position. Um, I think some of the worst thing you can do is pull over to the side of the road, get out of the vehicle, shut your door, the interior lights on, and then you fire off a couple bugles and you know, oh, then yeah. you're like then bulls answer and then, you know, you bugle again and then and then all of a sudden you're like, Well, yeah, now you go back to your truck, you get your bow case out, you're clanking around, you know, and then it's like you've just totally one given your bugle away. So they're like, Oh, that's a human. I mean they're not they yeah. they, they get to where they're not stupid. Um, and, and yeah. I, I love going early. Everyone that always hunts with me, they're like, why in the world are we up at, you know, two forty-five in the morning? This is ridiculous. <laughs> but I, just year after year, it works way better if you can be ahead and be already out listening, already out in the field. And, and so many people will just pull up at gray light or even shooting light and start their day you know, scrambling, and they're always chasing the elk, whereas you're already with the elk, you know, shadowing the elk, in front of the elk, you know, right to the side of the elk, paralleling the elk, or whatever it may be. Um, Chris, uh, we hit that pretty good, and then... He, well, he, let, me, let, me, let me add, sorry, let me add yeah. one thing. Because, and this is what, and I show this repeatedly in those strategies and action videos, because a lot of those were taken down in Arizona. Do not be surprised. And the reason why I say, you know, Jay's, Jay is absolutely right. And, and I do the same thing. And the reason why I say two hours and you, you're going to follow in the dark, I, can, I cannot stress to you enough how many times I have followed those animals two miles from where they got water, from where they were in the evening, where they were out in the meadow at night, to where they finally stage and get ready for bed. Two miles. And so if you're just starting, you're not even in the ballpark of where they are already, number one. Number two, just because they head to bed early does not mean they are holed up in their bed early. So many times I have followed them in the dark and they get two miles from all the openings and all the activity area. They get up into the area or the ridge or the little pocket that they plan on bedding in. And literally until 9 a.m., they're still on their feet. They're still moving. They're still engaging. They're still doing this, that. 
They're there, they're active, and they are willing and ready to work a call, but they're just not where you expect them. They're two miles from where you even, you know, struck them up the first time, you know, at 4 a.m. So, yeah, get in there and follow them, but don't assume that the game's over just when they start shutting up. Just keep following. They'll get next to their bedroom, and if you can play the wind right, you've got plenty of time to work them. For sure. Um and then he's talking about uh, chasing bugles. Are you basically walking around the woods trying to strike a bugle? So let's say, Chris, that you've picked an area that you want to hunt and you get out and you're early. And let's say you're not hearing anything, but you know there's elk there. And then he's talking about, let's say, you know, it starts getting light and you're not hearing anything. Like he's asking, are you actively trying to strike a bugle? Tell me what kind of your strategy you will be using then if you're in your area where you know you've scouted and there are elk there, but they're being quiet. What do you do? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i always going to start in the dark. And I think, you know, like we talked about in the last, I think it was the last episode, where, you know, I, I'm going to start in the dark. I'm going to get myself to a spot where I think they should be, and I'm going to, if, if, especially, okay, let's just cut to the chase. It's, it's the last half of September. Those elk are going to want cows. They're going to either be with cows or they're going to want to find cows. So 99% of the time, I'm just going to go ahead and start off with a lost team. Try to find, uh, get, a, get a bold response from a lost team. If I don't get a response at that, then I'm going to step up to a contact bugle, and, and I'll, I'll go from there. But most of the time, I'm going to be in the dark, and from my previous experience, whether it's the night before or just experiencing the area, I'm going to probably try to get myself on a ridge that is either centrally located where it lets me listen to a number of different areas, or it's going to be in the direction where I think those elk are probably going to head when they leave wherever it is that they, that they you know, were feeding in or getting water to. Sometimes if you look at the map, you can see you know, the way the ridges run, the way the drainages run, the way that, you know, topography lies, that, okay, the water is all down in the bottom, the open meadows are all down at the bottom, they're probably going to bed somewhere up on the ridge. A lot of times I'll just cut to the chase and I'll just get up on that ridge early just so I can hear where the animals are going and where, you know, how they're traveling. Sometimes I'm on the wrong ridge, but from that vantage point, I can hear them better and I can better figure out where they're headed at that point. And that's in the morning. In the evenings, just I'm doing exactly what you do, with, you know, cruising the roads, stopping, listening, but I'll do the same thing. I'll, you know, if I get out there two hours after dark, get up on, my, on a ridge, listen. I'm going to cover ground if I can, but if they're just tight-lipped, that's when I'm just going to insert myself on a ridge somewhere. It gives me a really good vantage point to listen. And then I'm just going to be quiet and then maybe send out a couple contact bugles here and there and see if I get a response. Each listener is different and each listener is probably hunting in a different state and has different scenarios. And they probably hear us about driving and listening for bulls bugling off the road. And they're like, these guys are crazy. You know, some of the <laughs> Colorado yeah, hunters, right. the Idaho hunters, they're probably like, that, that just ain't going to happen. Um, what advice would you give in the same type of scenario for guys that are out prospecting uh, in areas where they're like, <laughs> elk don't bugle by roads? W- w- what advice can you give them? The exact 
I do. He does not matter. I am doing the exact same thing. I'm just off the ropes. So where I'm getting ready to head into, yeah, the, the elk are going to be in those, probably feeding in some lower meadows, and there's some meadows and, and open pocket baskets and stuff. I am going to get myself on a point adjacent to the drainage or adjacent to the little bowl, or I'm going to get myself on a saddle in between two, or I'll get myself on a ridge between. I will position myself to where I should be close within striking distance of where I think the elk are, and I'm going to I'm going to get in there. I mean, just stupidly early, and I'm going to listen and be quiet. And if they start talking on their own, great. If they don't, I'm there for set. You know, ten, fifteen, twenty minutes. And I don't hear anything. I'm going to send out a contact bugle. If it's like for us early season, again, we start so early. I know that more of the bulls are going to be interested in figuring out their pecking orders rather than cows per se. So I'll probably lean on a little bit more contact bugles to start. If that doesn't work, then I'll throw some cow calls out there just, you know, lost views, see if I can respond. But it's the same thing. I'm going to get out early. The, the thing is, is I, I am a person that loves my sleep. I love to sleep. I'm really good at it. And I really <laughs> like a warm sleeping bag, especially if it's bitter cold out in the morning. And I'm telling you, your mind, you, the alarm is going to go off on your whatever, your alarm clock or your watch, your phone. And you're going to go, there's no way I'm crawling out of the sleep bag at 3 a.m. It's not happening. And your mind is going to come up with every excuse under the sun of why it makes no sense for you to get out of that sleeping bag at that time. Don't listen to it. Just force yourself out and get out there. I have never, ever once regretted getting up and out early. I can tell you I've almost always regretted not getting out early. You can sleep during the middle of the day if you want to. Catch up on your little cat naps or whatever. Just get out there early or stay late. I know that makes for a lot, you know, late evenings or early morning. Sometimes you can't do both back to back. You know, you stay out there two hours after dark and you get out there two hours before daylight. Add in your hike time to get up the ridge, you know, from where I camp to where I, you know, a lot of times where I'll start getting in, you know, want to get into elk is a 30 minute hike. So you start adding that into the factor and then you want to cook dinner or breakfast. What now you're looking at, well, shoot, that only leaves two to three hours of sleep. Yeah. Maybe do a couple evenings like that and then sacrifice the morning or sacrifice, you know, get it, do your mornings like that to sacrifice the, or change your meal structure where you eat your big meal during the middle of the day. So you don't have to, you know, spend time cooking at night or whatever, but I'm telling you, staying out later pays big dividends. Good stuff. Um, on the next episode, Chris, I want to talk about calling elk in their beds and I had done an episode with Michael Park. Uh, I, I can't tell you the number right off the top of my head. But uh, he talks about, and I've seen him do it, where he, he lets the morning unfold. He does his running and gunning. He follows them to their bed. He kind of leaves them alone, doesn't pester them. He kind of holds up himself. He gives an hour or so, and then he, he starts working away on them in their beds. Let's talk about that Absolutely. on the ne next episode. Uh, I want to thank you for your time. I want to encourage the listeners to check Chris out, uh, rowhuntingresources.com. Uh, uh, subscribe to his uh, elk modules. Subscribe to his one-year membership, uh, three-month membership, whatever it may be. 
Uh, Chris has been gracious enough to give a J. Scott podcast promo code, and that gets you 20% off. So uh, for the Elk module alone, for the three-month subscription, that's 20 bucks, right, Chris? Yeah, exactly. And uh, for the one year, it's uh, 49 Is that correct? With the, with the 20%, it takes it down to 40 bucks. Exactly. You, you nailed it. You nailed it. Yeah, and you can follow Chris uh, Rowe, R-O-E, Hunting Resources on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, and Chris, thanks for your time, and let's get into calling elk in their beds on the next episode. Sounds good, brother.